Well, in the grace, mercy, and peace of our loving Lord Jesus Christ, I want to welcome you to our service of worship and celebration on a beautiful summer morning. It is good to be together, and it's even better to be together in the house of our Lord. So thank you for being a part of our service. Thank you for joining us online, and we welcome you. But before we begin our service, there are just a few little family matters that we're going to mention. First of all, I want to welcome all who are visiting. And if, if uh, we are so glad you've joined us, and we look forward to getting to know you, and uh, even if it's just for a moment after the service, uh, please know that your presence is one of God's many blessings to us, and we want to say thank you. Also, so that we have a record of your visit, there is a welcome card, a visitor's card in the pew in front of you, and if you could fill that out and drop it off in the Welcome Center in the Stanley Park Cafe after the service, that would be tremendous. Next Sunday, uh, uh, June the 11th, there will be an SPBC 101. Now that's following the morning service, and that's for anybody who is just interested in knowing more about our church, about how we operate, about what it means to be a member and to be a part of uh, Stanley Park Baptist. It's an, just about an hour session with our, the chair of our board, Kevin Flatt. It's very informative, and it's, uh, I'd say it's a hoot, but well, anyway, <laughs> it's about that way as much as we can get it. It's a good time together. And for those who are still wanting to just uh, be a, a bit more of the vital part of the church, just a reminder that we do have a pre-service prayer time uh, every Sunday morning from about quarter after uh, nine till about quarter to 10. And um, it's, in, it's in the, um, I got the times right, yep. And it's in my office over by the uh, Lorraine Street entrance, okay? And uh, it's just a half hour, a wonderful time to get together and to pray for each other and for our service. Following this morning's service, be sure to join us in the SPBC Cafe. Uh, it's straight across the foyer into the gym. Come on over, have a cup of coffee, uh, and join together and meet somebody perhaps you haven't met before and talk to somebody perhaps you haven't talked to for a long time. But come on over and enjoy some fellowship time together. This time, we'll turn the service over to the worship team. Good morning, church. <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. Uh, I want to invite you all to uh, reach for the Bible that's in front of you if you don't have one of your own. Um, and let's turn to Psalm uh, 27. And we're going to read that together this morning as we begin. I will um, I'll begin by reading verse 1, and you'll read verse 2, and I'll read verse 3, and you'll read verse 4, and we'll go on like that. And at the end, we'll all read together the last verse. Psalm 27. If you have it, say, I got it. That sounds pretty good. You guys are fast. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I see, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all 
For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Amen. I hope that's an encouragement to someone in here because we all face different types of challenges and, and enemies each day. But let's be confident of this, that we will see the goodness of the Lord, that we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Yes, we have a hope of heaven and we wait with great expectation for that. But God is working right now, and we'll see him at work. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand with us today, and let's proclaim the goodness of God. fills me in all my days I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God in all my life you have been
voice is running after it. It's running after me. With my life laid down, surrender now. I give you
good, good Father. Heavenly Father, uh, we just now want to take some time right now to thank you for all the good gifts that you give to us. You are the author of all good gifts, including your material gifts that you bless us with. You own everything. Uh, we're just giving back a little bit of what you've already given to us. We pray, Father, that you will indeed take this offering Use it, multiply it, so that your name will be lifted up and glorified. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. So I invite you to, to sing with us once again, Good and Gracious King, a new song that we introduced a few weeks ago. I hope that by now you've caught on a little bit, so let's sing it together today. Sing to you this prayer. 
Amen. This morning, our children are here for a reason, because we, we realize oftentimes our children get dismissed before we celebrate communion. And we think it's a really important teaching opportunity uh, for our kids to be able to see us participate in the Lord's Supper. And hopefully that'll open up a conversation with parents, if it hasn't already been had, about what this meal means, what it is. And I just want to give our kids here, if you were here with us this morning, you might notice that the adults had these cups that they brought when they walked through the doors. They were distributing them at the front. And there's two parts to this. There's a little plastic flap, and underneath that, there's a wafer, and then there's the cup of grape juice. And why do we do this? This isn't just a snack that adults have while you guys go off to Bible town. This is much more than that. This is a very sacred meal. This is something that Jesus commanded all of his followers to do in order for us to remember what he was about to do on the cross. It was the night that Jesus was betrayed and he was celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. But in that meal, he gave the, the parts of the meal, specifically the bread that they ate and the wine that they drank, he gave those a whole new meaning. And he commanded his disciples. He knew what was before him. Jesus knew that in just a few hours, he would be nailed to a cross, that he would die for the sins of the world. And so looking ahead and seeing what was to come and looking at his disciples and knowing what was to come for them, he gave them this command. He said, this is important. This is how you are going to remember me. He took a loaf of bread and he broke it. It was the Passover bread. He broke it and he gave thanks to God. And he said, every time that, that you eat this bread, you, you're going to remember me. This is my body that is given for you. So when you eat that, you're going to remember what I'm going to do on the cross, the sacrifice Jesus was about to make. And then after supper, Jesus took the cup, cup of wine, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, we remember the Lord's death. We, we proclaim his death is what the apostle Paul says until Jesus comes again. And so by partaking of the juice that we're going to, this represents Jesus' blood, they had wine at the Passover meal. We have juice here. We're going to drink that in a moment. Remembering Jesus' blood that was shed for us. It's a symbol of that. It's not his actual blood. It's not magical. It's a symbol symbolizing Jesus' blood shed for us. And this little piece, this wafer of bread, symbolizing Jesus' body that was given for us. His body beaten and bruised and nailed to that cross so that we could be forgiven. So that our sins could be covered once and for all time. He did that for us. And so kids, as you're going to see the adults participating in this today, we, we want you to be able to, to think about these things because that's what Jesus has asked us to do, to remember him, to cherish what he has done, to, to bring honor and glory to him and to proclaim what he has done to the world that, that doesn't believe it. What this meal is, even though you might say it's a meal, it's, it's, it's small for us here but this is significant because this is the gospel, the good news that, that we're basically partaking of here. We're telling people as we do this, we're telling each other and anyone watching, 
and there might be some watching online today, that Jesus is the Son of God, the Lamb of God who died for the sins of the world. We, we partake of his body symbolically, the bread, his, the wine symbolically, his blood. And we proclaim that Jesus rose from the dead and he, one day he is coming again. He defeated death. Our sin has been paid for once and for all time. We have victory. Our God is our Father, our good and gracious King because of Jesus, his Son. So today, uh, we're going we're gonna to do this. Now, the Apostle Paul gives a warning. You might ask, well, mom and dad, can I just jump in and give me a cup and I want to do this? Well, here's the thing. This is the Lord's Supper, and it's only for followers of Jesus Christ, those who have repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus for forgiveness. Call him those who follow him as master and Lord of their life and Savior. So if you're not a follower of Jesus here, this is not something that you should partake in or participate in. This is only for Jesus' followers as this sacred meal of remembrance. So we're going to participate in this now today. It's a privilege when we do this. We do this about once a month, sometimes twice. In Easter, we do it twice around the Easter season. But this morning, through our celebration of the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the death of Jesus. I've mentioned these elements. They represent the body and blood of Christ, and they are a visible sermon to us. They are the gospel in tangible form. They proclaim to us the great drama of redemption in Jesus, salvation in the present. We're going to say as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, that's the present. Salvation in the past, you proclaim the Lord's death that happened, and salvation in the future because you proclaim his death until he comes again. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. Well, my friends, in light of such an amazing salvation, the Apostle Paul warns, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner eats or drinks judgment upon himself. So before we partake of this supper, we're just going to take a few minutes to examine our hearts, to ask God to search our hearts, recognizing both the gravity of our sin and the weight of Jesus' sacrifice in paying for it. So let's just take a few moments of quiet. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes and pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, our good and gracious King, your word tells us that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So now, Lord, in these moments, we silently confess our sins to you. First John 2, 1 to 2, we read, My little children, I am writing things, these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Heavenly Father, we come to this table that you have prepared for us to remind us of our sin and of your sacrifice through your son, Jesus. Help us even now to grow in grace 
Lord, help us in this time of meditation before we eat this bread to confess our sins to you, to acknowledge our indebtedness to your free grace and to be grateful for your amazing love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In obedience of Jesus' command, we are now going to participate in this meal. In his body given, represented by the wafer that we will partake, and his blood shed for our sin on the cross, represented by the juice that we will drink together in a moment. So if you are tuning in at home, I would invite you to please get these elements ready, and then we will proceed. To its blessing and fellowship, all disciples of the Lord Jesus who have repented of their sins and are following him in newness of life by the Holy Spirit may come and partake in this meal joyfully and solemnly. Those of you who are here this morning who have not surrendered in faith to Jesus Christ, again, just ask that you observe what takes place here today, that you not partake as this is a sacred time for believers who have received and put their received salvation and put their hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks he broke it saying this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me. Let me just return a prayer of thanksgiving for the bread symbolizing the body of our savior Jesus. Heavenly Father Lord The bread we're about to partake is symbolic of the human body in which you dwelt incarnate among us, sinless for 33 years. And Jesus, when you were crucified, you bore our sins in your body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By your wounds, we are healed. You took our place and paid a price that we could never pay. So seal this to our hearts as we eat this bread, representing your body broken for us. Amen. Together, let us eat this bread in remembrance of Jesus' body given for us and be thankful. In the same way, Jesus took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread, or sorry, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11. So now let us return a prayer of thanksgiving for the cup symbolizing the blood of Jesus shed for us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you this day for the new covenant sealed through the blood of Jesus. As we drink this cup in remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice for our sins, asking him now through your Holy Spirit to commune with us as we commune with each other, be glorified here. Lord, with grateful hearts, we drink to you and of you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance that Jesus' blood was shed for you and be grateful. And after which they are free to go to their program this morning. Father, we thank you for our children. You have lovingly created them in your image and you have a good and perfect plan for their lives. Protect their bodies, their minds, their emotions, their hearts from the influences of the world. We pray for their teachers this morning. Thank you for them. Give them wisdom and the power of your spirit to speak the truth of your word into these young lives so that they might accept your gift of love and salvation and live in your presence all the days of their lives. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Children, thank you for joining us here for the first part of the service. And uh, you can now go to Bible Town. I want to invite the rest of us to stand together as we sing, I love to tell the story.
would invite you to come now and bow with me as we come before our Father in prayer. Father God, Master and Lord, Creator, Sovereign Ruler over all that is, good and kind, mighty in power, gracious in heart, with arms open wide, you welcome us into this place of grace. And as we come into your presence, we know full well that we are unworthy to come. Having absolutely no right to even think we have any righteousness or goodness that would allow us into your holy presence. Except you have given us the gift of salvation. You have incredibly provided for us through the broken body of Jesus Christ, the shed blood your one and only Son, our Savior and Lord, and in his name we come. In his name we stand before you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for doing for us what we could never have done for ourselves. Thank you for giving us a way to be made right and just and, and acceptable in your presence. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving yourself, your life, your sinless body. Thank you for the amazing love, mercy, and grace that you extend to we who have no right to it, save that we are sinners with hearts longing to be good and just in your holy presence. Father God, you are the master of all storytellers, and your story is the greatest story ever told. Help us to be a people who tell your story and how, we, and how that story has become our story to a world that so desperately needs to hear it, to know it, to own it, to experience it for themselves. May we be found faithful in telling others about the incredibly glorious salvation that you have given to us. For you have given us a play, an, an honorable position in your creation to care for all of it, that you have made, that you, and we are to preserve it, and we are indeed to, to look after all that you have entrusted to us. And still, our hearts are deceptive, our minds betray us, our wills wander away from you and from all that is good and right, and that you have provided for our own salvation. So we come, O oh God, forgive us. Forgive us when our hearts and minds become proud and full of ourselves, when our desires will, will, will us into doing the very things that we know we have no place in our lives and, and the very things that you, Jesus, died for. Forgive us when our self pulls us away from the very things that you long for us to do. We truly are a needy people needing to be cleansed afresh from the sins that we have committed. Forgive us, O oh God. Help us to walk in the ways of Jesus and in the goodness of the life that he lived, as he so unselfishly gave of himself. Cleanse, restore, fill us with the joy and peace that only comes to us through a right relationship with you. Lord Jesus, you are our living story. Teach us to live that story here on earth 
to be your body, your hands, your feet, your eyes, and most of all, your compassionate heart. Send the impulses of your love into, into the very sinews and pores of this church and the people of this church. May your will and thoughts be the very essence of the stories of our lives as we live them in the world in which you have placed us. Let your hands, through our hands, touch the lives of those who need your help. Even as, as your voice is heard through the very words we speak and sing, and may we be found faithful not only in the stories of the lives we live, but in the telling the world that story that you have given to us in our hearts. Father, as you so very well know, there is so much that is wrong in this world. There are so many things that cause us anxiety and fear and, and deep sadness. In spite of the good news story that you have given us, so we help us to find hope in the hopelessness of the age that we live in. Peace in the wars that are being fought. Joy in the sorrows people are living through, even as we ask that you would receive our thanks for all that is right and good and proper and radiant from, from hope. Be with those who are suffering this day, those who are physically and mentally, emotionally, and yes, spiritually in pain and distress, all needing to know your healing touch all afresh. We ask that you would be with those who are sick and dealing with bodies that are failing and even dying. We pray for those needing to experience the healing hand of Jehovah Rapha yet once again. We pray for Bruce, for Alice, for Nancy and Harvey, and for Janice, for Ken, for Nancy uh, who is fighting cancer, for Will's dad, for Josh, for Andrew, for Ken, for Ed, and many others who are dealing with things that are wrong in body and in spirit. We think of those who are dealing with bodies that are aging and the limitations and indignities that so often accompany us as we get older. Yet we are ever thankful for every year and moment of life, for it is another opportunity to experience your story in its telling. And yet, O oh God, with the passing of time, there is often yet another loss, another moment that so often takes something away from us. And so we ask in the passing of time, clothe us with your spirit, O God. Assure us afresh that we belong to you and let nothing, not even getting older, Father, separate us from the great love that you have for us, nor can it erase us from the glorious story that you, have, that you continue to write in the living of life. Thankfully, we know that we are not created to live this life, this present life forever. No, you are reserving our place in the forever place of eternity, and we thank you for that. But here in the now, we live with death and loss and, and with grief, even for those we know that have entered into their eternal glory, and that's because we simply miss them. And there's an empty chair in family circles. And so we pray for Carolyn and Brad, for Carolyn's family, for Ryan and Jess and Ryan's family, as, as they've just recently said goodbye to respective Omas. Even as we pray for Brian and Kate and Brian's family, as they are in that process right now. 
ever thankful for the story and testimony of the lives of these three faithful grandmothers. And now, dear Lord, help us to be attentive to the word you are sending out and the message and the work that you are sending it to do. Remind us afresh of your everlasting and abiding love, of your grace and of your mercy, so that we might be faithful in telling the greatest story ever heard to a world, to a people, to friends, to loved ones who so desperately need to hear it. Anoint your servant, Gary, as he speaks with your words of love to us once again, as we await whatever you have for us through the gift of your spirit and the preaching of your word. We ask these things in Jesus' most strong and powerful name. Amen. Amen. My thanks to Pastor Paul and to our, our worship team uh, for leading us in that time of, of musical worship this morning, a uh, time of communion around the Lord's table here. Um, yeah, I do have an announcement that, that I need to just start with or I'll likely forget it. Um, so, next year, you can make a dream come true and see the land where Jesus lived and walked and traced the biblical places and archaeological sites with Pastor Isaac Amarin for an unforgettable spiritual pilgrimage uh, of 10 days from February 18th to February 27th, 2024. Uh, Pastor Isaac, in case you haven't met him, he's actually doing an interim at another church in our association right now. Uh, but he will be back here at Stanley Park uh, starting on June 9th, and he will be here following the service that day uh, during coffee time to make a 10-minute presentation about this tour for anyone who is interested in that. Uh, he has gone several times, has just an incredible knowledge of, uh, of the land there and uh, just amazing insights, uh, some of which he shared with me. Uh, I, I just would encourage you if, if you're... Uh, interested in, in the prospect of that, to, to prayerfully consider it. And uh, you can find out more on July 9th. There's also a brochure posted on the bulletin board if you need more information about that. All right. By the way, I've had a few people, um, totally separate note here, but we've got uh, one of our, our former youth, a student here, actually, he, he attended, uh, he attended our, our children's ministries for a few years, Jamal Murray, uh, who is competing, uh, of course, in the NBA finals. Uh, maybe you're aware of that, but uh, kind of exciting. I, I keep having people come up, oh, you know, are you watching Jamal? I guess they're up one nothing. the Denver Nuggets over the, uh, who are they playing? The Heat, right, right, the Heat. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of exciting. Uh, so, so there you go, little little connection, Stanley Park connection there. Um, <clears throat> I want to start by asking a question. We just sang a hymn that was pretty bold. I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Do you love to tell the story? You just said you did. You just sang that. 
Because if, if you love to tell it, how often do you tell it? Who do you tell it to? It's one thing to sing it to each other, but telling the story of Jesus, sharing our faith in Christ, telling people what we've proclaimed at the table here today, that is not easy to do. We are going to look at a passage today. We just, we proclaim Jesus' death, right, as, as we celebrated the Lord's Supper today. We proclaimed his death and resurrection and his return. Um, the very first time that ever happened outside of Jerusalem was significant, and we're going to look at that today. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. And I don't think we're going to get too far into this because there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to, to go through here. Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Um, for the last few years, we've been setting at, at least two weeks, two Sundays aside, to pray for the persecuted church. Uh, we have IDOP Sunday, usually in November, and we actually have another opportunity coming up at the end of this month on June 25th. It's called One With Them, and it's a day of prayer for Christian captives. This is important. This is something we often forget, <laughs> that there are followers of Jesus Christ throughout the world being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. According to Open Doors, 360 million Christians around the world suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. Last year, 2,110 church buildings were attacked or destroyed. According to uh, this, as you see here, 4,542 Christians were detained not to mention the 5,259 who were abducted and 5,621 Christians were murdered for their faith in Christ. All of that persecution began on one day, the day that we're going to look at today in Acts 8. It was the day that Stephen died. You'll recall our last message in Acts, we studied Stephen's martyrdom. He fulfilled what Jesus promised. In Luke 21, in warning of signs leading up to the end of the age, Jesus said, before all this, they will seize you. He's telling this to his disciples. They will seize you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. And verse 16, and they will put some of you to death. Stephen was first in line. He was the first Christian martyr, the first one to fulfill the great commission Jesus gives in Acts 1.8. He said, you will be... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to do what? To be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, 
and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as we've been discussing for the last few weeks, that word witness is the Greek word marcherian. It's where we get our English word martyr. Someone who, yes, who gives verbal testimony to what they've seen and heard, eyewitness, and yet someone who in doing that is ready and willing to lay down their lives. That's what the Holy Spirit empowered Stephen to do. Not only to live his life as a witness of Jesus Christ, but ultimately to give his life in witness to Jesus Christ. And uh, as we discussed the last time, if you recall, that's what every follower of Jesus must be willing to do. Ready to share the gospel, ready to tell the old, old story, even if it means persecution. Well, it was on that day that Stephen died that we read this in Acts 1, 8, or sorry, Acts 8, 1. (laughs) On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. Great persecution. That word persecution is important. It means an aggressive chasing, a hunting down like a predator after prey. That's what began to happen on this day. Now, we've seen Christian persecution before this, right? We saw it all the way back in Acts 3. When Peter and John go out, they're on their way to the temple for prayer, and they they come across the crippled man, and Peter reaches out and heals him in the name of Jesus, and everyone is amazed. And then what does he do? He preaches the gospel. He proclaims that this man was healed by faith in the name of Jesus. It's power in Jesus' name. It was the power of Christ that, that healed him. And of course, this begins the ripple, of flat, or ripple effect. You see, wherever there is proclamation of Jesus Christ, that will lead to persecution for Christ. So what happens, this, this pattern we see in the book of Acts, is that there's, there's proclamation of the gospel, starting with the apostles. They go out, they, they cannot help but tell the old, old story of what Jesus has done, of who he is, and how he can save, and how he wants to save, and he's paid to save the world from their sin. But stuff happens. You see, People love that message. There are some, they will either love it or hate it. And those who hear it, those who the Holy Spirit is preparing their hearts, they receive it. So all of a sudden, the church started growing. And then the enemies of God, the Sanhedrin specifically, they see this growth and that threatens them. So what do they do? They haul up Peter and John. They give them a stern warning. Do not speak anymore in this name. (laughs) Peter, I love his response. Sorry. Sorry. Who who, who should we obey? You or God? (laughs) Right? This This is what God's commanded us to do. So they go out and they just keep on proclaiming the truth. They keep on preaching. And then suddenly it goes from just two apostles to all of the apostles who are now doing miracles and explaining them, proclaiming Jesus, and now they're hauled into court. They're seized, thrown in jail. Do you remember that amazing story, Acts 5? 
The, the angel rescues them from jail, not to go flee for safety, but to go out and keep preaching. <laughs> and they do. They keep proclaiming the truth, telling people the old, old story. The Sanhedrin looks out, sees them. They're supposed to be on trial. Bring those guys back in here. So what do they do? They tell them again, you are not, not to speak in this name anymore, the name of Jesus. They didn't even want to say it, the Sanhedrin. They're afraid of the power in this name. And then just to drive their message home, they beat the apostles. They scourged them. They want to deter them, right? Do not speak in this name again. Drive some fear into them. But what, do they, what does it do? <laughs> the disciples, the apostles go away rejoicing, ecstatic that they were counted worthy of suffering for Christ. And then they keep on preaching. It says they keep on preaching every single day. The good news of Jesus Christ going from door to door. Amazing. Church keeps on growing right? Proclamation of the gospel leads to growth of the church, which leads to more persecution, which we see in Acts 7. Stephen, Stephen, this man full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, he was chosen by the church because the church was growing so much, there was things that were being missed, people being overlooked, specifically widows. Grecian widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food in the congregation, and so the apostles realized we can't look after all these things. We need to delegate some, some help here. So they choose seven men, seven men to deacon, to serve these widows. Stephen is the first one they choose and commission. And of course, as we saw last time, he ends up being the first one who lays down his life. He is seized. They don't like what he's doing. He preaches before the Sanhedrin. They hate what he says. He points out their guilt in murdering Jesus, and so what do they do? They murder him. They kill him. And it was on that day that persecution of Christians becomes persecution of the church. Corporate persecution. All Christians, any man, woman, boy or girl who confessed Jesus Christ as Lord were hunted down. It says this, it says, persecution broke out against the church, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. All except the apostles. Now, I just want to say this. Luke doesn't do anything by accident. Everything that he puts in, every detail, every word he chooses, and the order he puts it in is, is very important. Uh, what we see here... <clears throat> is an incredible connection between this verse in Acts 8.1 and Jesus' commission in Acts 1.8. 8.1 and 1.8. See, Christians didn't choose to move out of Jerusalem. They were forced to. And by the way, they don't flee to safety. Persecution catapults them straight into enemy territory. The enemy territory of, let me just show you this, Samaria to the north. They take off from Jericho, up to Samaria and down to Judea. Um, <clears throat> so, enemy territory, yeah. You see, Judea, Jesus' ministry was, was rejected flat out in Judea. And Samaria was where the Samaritans lived. And the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. There was long-standing animosity, deep-seated religious racial tension, prejudice between these two people. You see... The Samaritans were sort of, the Jews considered them half-breeds. They were half-Gentile, half-Jew. 
Uh, Their ancestors had intermarried during the Assyrian invasion, and so the Jews regarded them as, as dirty, filthy, unworthy. And yet Jesus gave a special focus to the Samaritans, didn't he? He engaged in that life-changing, soul-saving conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. On his way to Jerusalem, he healed a Samaritan leper in Luke 17. And of course, he made a good Samaritan the unlikely hero of that famous parable he tells in Luke 10. Why? It was a powerful reminder that Jesus had come to bring salvation not just to the Jews, but to all people, including Samaritans and Judeans. And beyond that, Gentiles. <laughs> Acts 1.8, my friends, look at the, the words here. Acts 1.8 is how Acts, or Acts 8.1 rather, is how Acts 1.8 begins to be fulfilled. Notice, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. That is what pushed the church out of Jerusalem. Persecution. Persecution. <clears throat> now, it was Stephen's martyrdom that set all this off. Kind of like a spark on a powder keg, right? And you see the, the long trail and the spark makes its way up and boom, there's this explosion of persecution against the church. Stephen's death had an enormous impact, not only in the church, but in the Jewish community as well. And we see that in verse two here, look at this. It says, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. See, apparently there was some devout, God-fearing Jews who were appalled by what had happened, appalled by the Sanhedrin's action in putting Stephen to death. They, They could have even protested against it. Well, here Luke mentions that these Jewish men honored Stephen by mourning his death and making sure he was given a proper burial. Well, their soft-hearted sympathy for Stephen is a complete contrast to Saul's hard-hearted hostility and fury against the church. By the way, you see that verse 1 there right at the, the top? Saul was there giving approval to his death. We talked about this a little bit last time. Saul hated, hated Christians with a vengeance, literally. When it says giving approval, that means Saul took pleasure in Stephen's murder. His heart was so dark and hard. There was no one who despised Christians more. And we see his hatred unleashed in verse 3. But Saul began to destroy the church, it says. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Saul goes on a rampage. That word destroy, it's really interesting. It's it's where we get our English word eliminate. Eliminato. It's it's this idea that he wanted to rip the church apart limb from limb. He, He wanted to destroy it completely. And he does that, starts by going from house to house, dragging men and women to prison, Christian men and women. He goes on a hunt for Christians. But my friends, these ruthless attempts to silence and eliminate the messengers of Jesus doesn't work, does it? In fact, it only ends up spreading the message of Jesus further. 
Every evil Saul and the enemies of the church try to inflict, God uses for good, indeed for the salvation of many people, many nations. Because the scattering of God's people through persecution results in the proclamation of God's word everywhere. Like wildfire, we see those happening out west, right? The worst thing in trying to contain wildfire is wind and dry conditions, it just spreads. Well, my friends, in a good way, that's how the gospel spread. And I guess the point is this. This was a part of God's sovereign plan. God's sovereign plan for spreading the seed of his word, the gospel, required the scattering of his people. And I think this is an important point for us. By the way, it's the very first thing Jesus taught when he began speaking and teaching in parables. His very first parable was the parable of the sower in Luke 8. You remember that parable? Remember how I said Luke does nothing by accident? Everything is intentional. Luke is the prequel to Acts. This is an important connection here. Look at this. Here's what we read. It says, while a large crowd, this is Luke 8, okay, a large crowd was gathering. People were coming to Jesus from Town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled, and the birds ate it up. Some fell along the rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And then he goes on to say this in verse 11 to explain the meaning. Jesus says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. And then Jesus explains that the different kinds of ground or soil represented the different kinds of people who receive the word of God. Either they receive it or they reject it. Now take note of these two words here. Scattering. Jesus says this word, he uses this word spiro, which means to sow, to spread. What? The word of God. What is the point of this? Jesus wasn't just describing the way God's word should be spread. He's actually explaining the great commission and how it will be fulfilled. The gospel, the seed of God's word will be sown, scattered everywhere on every patch of ground on earth whether it's rocky or thorny or sandy or lush soil. And of course, the ground represents people, every people group there is. That's Luke 8. Now look at Acts 8, verse 4. What do we see? Therefore, those who were scattered, interesting. Luke takes the same word Jesus uses and amplifies it. It was spiro, now he adds dia, spiro, which means he spreads it everywhere. Those who had been scattered everywhere preached the word everywhere they went. The word, scattered in the word. Scattered in the word. That's part of God's plan for fulfilling the Great Commission. So let me just bring this all together here. God, the sovereign sower, spreads the seed of his word through the winds of persecution, scattering his people who preach his word everywhere they went. Okay, so can I just say this? Persecution is not an unfortunate consequence of preaching the gospel. 
It is a necessary catalyst to spreading the gospel further. It's an integral part of God's providential plan necessary to the worldwide proclamation of the gospel to the fulfilling of the Great Commission, which I just want to point out something really important for us. That is carried out by the power of the Holy Spirit through God's church, through his people. And Luke is really careful to point out who amongst God's people does the preaching. Look at The church, which by the way, could have been upwards of 20,000 people strong at this point. The church at Jerusalem was scattered. All of them, except for the apostles, preached the word wherever they went. So much for trying to pin the responsibility of carrying out the Great Commission on the apostles, right? They weren't the ones who preached the word in Judea and Samaria. It was every other Christian, every other member of the church who was scattered. All 20,000 men, women, boys, and girls scattered by persecution went about preaching the word everywhere they went. This was God's sovereign plan for spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. And my friends, it just, it wasn't just his plan then. It's his plan now. His plan has not changed. It's the same in the 21st century as it was in the first. God has sovereignly called and by his Holy Spirit empowered every follower of Jesus to be his witness, a missionary of sorts, to preach his word, to share the gospel wherever they are and wherever they go. And when I say they... That's us. That's you. That's me. Now, you you might be sitting there thinking, come on, Gary, hold on. I'm not a preacher. I can't preach. Well, guess what? That word preach in verse 4, those who had scattered preach the word. You know what it means? It means share. It means give, give good news, share good news, announce good news. Uh, you're going to find this interesting. It's, it's the word where we get our word evangelism. Euangelizo. It's the only time we, we read this. Luke is the only author to use this term. It's, it's in Luke, and we see it all throughout Acts, this call to evangelize, to share the gospel to preach the word. The gospel is the best, most important news there is. I got one amen on that. That's good. John, you're with me. Um, I'm going to say it again. The gospel is the best and most important news there is. Amen. If we believe that, then why are we so quiet about it? If we're being honest, (laughs) we're silent most of the time. Reflecting on the fear that most North American Christians face when it comes to sharing their faith. Tom Rainer, former pastor, uh, best-selling author, he he put it this way, and, and I appreciate his words here. 
He said, the free gift of salvation is the most important message in the world. And yet, as the church, we are speechless. We have countless conversations every day. We love to talk about our families. We'll talk with great enthusiasm about our favorite sports teams. We talk about the weather, both with curiosity and concern. Yet we often feel our hearts racing with fear at the thought of even mentioning the name of Jesus. It's just not a natural conversation for most people. Silence is much more comfortable. He continues and he says this, our silence is Satan's goal. He loves our hesitation, our self-consciousness, our unwillingness to share the gospel. His goal is to increase the population of hell. Every gospel conversation is a threat to his dominion. This is spiritual warfare at its most basic level. He is very comfortable with silent, self-absorbed churches. Evangelism is the enemy of the devil, my friends. Evangelism is a God-given, Holy Spirit-empowered mandate given to every follower of Jesus to share the gospel. So, to be clear, the Great Commission is the shared responsibility of the church, of all Christians. And part of the reason why the gospel has not yet spread to the ends of the earth is because many, many Christians are not taking that mandate or mission seriously. I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I'm going to leave that to the evangelists, right? I've heard people tell me that. Well, what if you don't have the gift of helps? Does that mean you shouldn't help anyone? (laughs) What if you don't have the gift of mercy? Does that mean you shouldn't be merciful? No. God has empowered us, called us, given us everything that we need to share the reason for the hope we have in Christ with anyone who asks us. Let's not make excuses. My friends, let's remember that God is sovereign. He is in control, working all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, which means that everything you and I experience, everything, okay, think about it, the the blessings, the heartaches, the twists and turns in your life, maybe a promotion or a demotion or losing your job, God has sovereignly ordained everything in order to give you opportunity to preach the good news, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with your friends, your family, your neighbors, your acquaintances. So if you're struggling with, uh, with a change in position maybe or loss of a job like I mentioned or perhaps a move on the horizon, maybe you're one of those people who've had to flee for your life because of real persecution like the church in Jerusalem. Remember this, God is in control and he has arranged opportunities for you to share your hope in Jesus Christ and his love for you, to live it out in front of people, people that he has placed in your life. There is no one in your life by accident. There is no one in your family by accident. There is no one on your street who lives there by accident. You may be the only follower of Christ in your building, in your family, in your street. 
And that makes it very, very hard to tell the old, old story, doesn't it? You see, the reason we don't share our faith is because we're not in the habit of sharing our faith. The more we share our faith, the more we put ourselves out there, the more we trust God and say, okay, God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to recognize the opportunity that you're giving me, and I'm going to take it. And it might be a flaming mess. You might not have the words to say, or at least the words that you think you need to say, but you know what? God will use it. God will use it. It's not your power. It's not your expertise in sharing the gospel that will save someone. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is power, my friends. It's the power of Christ unto salvation. We have it. And we're called to share it. To share it through our lives, through our testimony. To tell people what they need to hear. What God has done in my life what God has done in your life. It can be as simple as a conversation. I appreciate uh, the way late Christian apologist and theologian Michael Green put it. I just want to give him this quote, and then I'll close off here. He said, as early as Acts 8, we find that it is not the apostles, but the amateur missionaries, men and women evicted from Jerusalem who took the gospel with them wherever they went, They were evangelists just as much as any apostle ever was. They went everywhere, spreading the good news, which was not formal preaching, but informal chattering to friends and chance acquaintances in homes and on walks and around the market stalls. They went everywhere gossiping the gospel. If you're going to gossip, gossip the gospel, otherwise shut up. They did it naturally, enthusiastically, he continues, and with the conviction of those who are not paid to say that sort of thing. Consequently, they were taken seriously, and the movement spread, notably among the lower classes. What an amazing plan God created for spreading the gospel, amen? You don't need a stage, a microphone, or a manuscript to preach the gospel. You just need to be obedient to the Holy Spirit's lead in conversation with people that God places in your path every day. Uh, I just want to give a little plug here. These messages that that we're going through here, they're all pointing us in a very clear direction. I've mentioned to you Christianity Explored. And this is a, a program that we hope to be running this fall. It's kind of like Alpha, Only what we do is we just open up the gospel of Mark and and we go through it. We read God's word together. We invite people, the tagline, what's the best news you've ever heard? You're going to be receiving these invitations in the next few weeks. And what we're going to ask you to do is take the weeks in the summer to prayerfully consider the people that, that God wants you to invite that God wants you to reach out to, not just with an invitation, but with the good news. We are expecting great things because our God has promised us great things. He's given us our marching orders. The question is, are we going to march? Are we going to do what he says and not merely listen to the word? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation.
And when we obediently share it, it is the power of the Holy Spirit that will convict and transform lives, my friends, not us. Rest assured, God can take all of your fears, and I know you probably have them, just like I do. Insecurities, and I know you have them, just like I do. Verbal shortcomings, and he can use all of them for his purpose and his glory when we trust him too. So like the scattered church of Jerusalem, may we preach the word, share it, the gospel, wherever we go, through our lives, obedient lives that have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the challenge here and the reminder here of of the way it all started. That that first church in the first century in Jerusalem being forced out of their comfort zone by persecution. And Father God, they did not see that as a hindrance. They, They saw it as a catapult. Lord, you placed each and every one of those members of that church exactly where they needed to be, and what did they do? They preached your word, and I pray we would do the same thing, Heavenly Father, recognizing that where we are is not an accident, that where we live is not an accident. Lord, that that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you, who are called according to your purpose, and some of those people have not yet met you, Lord. I pray, God, I pray that you would lay people on our hearts, people in our lives, in our families, in our circle of friends, on our streets, Lord, who need you, that that you would give us those opportunities. And we don't want to ask this casually, Father, but knowing that, that you will, that no one should perish, but everyone come to repentance, but they need to hear the good news. And Lord, as terrifying as it is for some of us, Lord, you've called us, each and every one of us here, to be bearers of that news, to be heralds announcing that salvation is found in Jesus Christ, that you, God, so loved this world that you gave your only son to die for it. Thank you for saving us, God, and thank you for empowering us and enabling us to do what your word says. So Lord, may we walk away from this place today ready, willing, and able to speak the truth in love to shine the light of Jesus and through our lives to share the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, as uh, we close today, um, the next song is a, is a good reminder of what the Lord has called us to do. And uh, if uh, you're one who maybe worries about what to say when sharing, uh, this will help. This will help to know what to start with as we engage and commit to sharing uh, God's love and sharing the gospel with others. So would you stand with us as we sing this closing song?
Amen. May that be true of us. Uh, I'm going to close with my favorite prayer of the Apostle Paul from Ephesians 3. I think this is very appropriate, and I pray this for you and for me. Along with Paul, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.